Give me a loud clap if, when you hear this word, it like fills you with like mission and joy and identity. Please be honest. Okay? Just give me like, give me one of those. Like way to go. Ready? Here's the word. Evangelical. Love that. How many of you have a complicated relationship with the word evangelical? Don't be afraid of your neighbor and there is no judgment. How many of you, when you hear this word, you want to give a warm clap to this, um, this is contributing to currently what is wrong in the world? <laughs> It's going to be a good one. How did the word evangelical come to mean what it seems to mean to most people? The word evangelical, if you are even remotely paying attention to the world, that's not a slam. I just mean if you are dialed in at all to the news. Is a word, um, how did this word become a voting block? How did this word become a voting block for a handful of narrow views? I grew up in what I understood to be, and I wasn't as familiar with the word out the gate, but the word evangelical, that I was, I was an evangelical. I've, I've never, uh, the denomination that we're connected with this larger network has the word evangelical in it. Uh, I didn't have too much baggage around this word. I knew some other words within Christendom than the way of Jesus that made me struggle. But as I've come across more and more people in the last 10 years, I am very quick to make sure that that word evangelical does not come up in my explanation of the church. And I realized the tension inside of me, which was, actually, I know the word, I love the word, and I've met so many people who identify as evangelicals who are some of the most passionate, loving Jesus followers that I've ever met. And then there's this other thing out there in the ether on my news feed on CNN and Fox and MSNBC. It's just a thing out there that is a, 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 seems to be portrayed as, fair or not, a very angry voting block. How did this word evangelical come to mean a group of people who vote this way, whether you agree or not with some of the ways or policies that they vote for? And by the way, as somebody who has grown up in this stream, I have every right to go at it. Okay? Okay? This is not attack from the outside for those of you who are about to get defensive. This is inside baseball for a second. But the thing about this inside baseball word, evangelical, is that especially those who walk through the door today, who, who um, are, have been living in this city, who are trying to make sense of the way of Jesus, exploring their spirituality, maybe full of a lot of doubts and questions, you are very familiar with this word and familiar with it, I'm guessing, in a way that is not that pleasant. It's a thousand-year-old word, originally used by the Romans. It means good news. Now, this word used by these people, the Romans, just a quick recap of when this word kind of emerged and why we get this word uh, in our scriptures. Um, they, would, they basically were uh, this massive empire. We think the United States has a lot of spread. It, compares, it pales in comparison to what Rome was like. Ruled the world from England to India, conquered everybody in their path. When they marched, there would be phrases and lines like, you must submit to Caesar. 
There are actually stories of Romans crucifying 2,000 people at a time, destroying whole villages. And if you didn't resist, because the phrase that they would use often is resistance is futile. Yes, that's not a Star Trek phrase. You'd, have to, you'd, you'd need to join the empire. And when you join the empire, they would tax you almost to the point of death if you were poor. And they would use that to fund their army to conquer more people. And they would say, one of their most common slogans was they were bringing peace to the world. This is what they were doing, bringing peace to the world. And whenever they had a victory, they would issue a euangelion. Can you guess what the word euangelion translates to in English? Can you guess what the word euangelion translates into English? Evangelical. I realized that was, that was tricky. <laughs> like, this should be obvious, I think. This was a gospel announcement. It was a good news announcement. A herald would charge into an, a land, an area. Right? They couldn't pick up the phone. They couldn't, like, send out a tweet. Like, they had to let people know another land had been captured. Rome goes on. The peace and order and beauty of Rome will continue to spread throughout the land. And they would send heralds. I like to imagine them as, like, Paul Revere on horseback, even though it was a very different era. And they would charge into areas, and they would go, let me proclaim the good news, and this is what they would send. Repent. They would say, repent. I, I bring you good news. Repent. Turn around. Know that this is what's happening in the world. Return to Caesar. And they would have this phrase, Caesar is Lord, Caesar is Lord, Caesar is Lord. We've talked about some of this before. So at the same time, there was a small movement that started, a group of people that believed their leader had risen from the dead. They believed things like death didn't have the last word. It was a new kind of movement that was fueled by an understanding of a God that was love, who made himself known for us, who laid down his life for all people, who had risen from the dead, and who was renewing all things. They had this view, this narrative. They had a different story, a story that was pretty counter to Caesar is Lord. No, actually, we believe Jesus is king. Actually, no, we believe the world is made right. It's not through military power and might. We actually believe the world is made right. The world is quote-unquote conquered, though they did not use that language at all, via self-sacrificial love. They took Roman military propaganda and they switched it on them. They switched it on them. They turned the whole thing on its head. It's like the best kind of mashup. Like taking a Miley Cyrus song and a Mumford and Son. No, it's not it. That was a bad analogy. They took Caesar as Lord and then they declared it actually that Jesus was Lord. Because two things were happening at this moment in history. These Jewish people, this tribe who are to be a blessing to the world, who are now under Roman occupation, they believed that the Messiah in their whole history, going all the way back to the beginning, that their Messiah would emerge and make all things right and put it all back together. And so this idea of Jesus being king, of God sending the Messiah who's going to reconcile the world back to itself, hits ahead at the same time that they are conquered by Rome. And they go, you know what, Rome? That's pretty good language. We are going to use that. It was a revolutionary movement. Before anybody gets confused about what the church should be, before it's anything else, is a revolutionary movement of love, faith, and hope, and joy. This is what it has always meant to be and, when it, and what it still is 
when it is being faithful to the orthodox teaching of the church. They took this idea of good news, of military might and power, and said, no, this is not how the world is saved. Not when you destroy your enemy, but when you love them. In fact, those of you brand new to the Bible, you may know that there are, or may not know that there is a number of passages about loving your enemy. We are supposed to pray uh, and embody this idea of on earth as it is in heaven. If you're brand new to sanctuary, you'll see this phrase around a lot, in Providence as it is in heaven, on the east side, on the north end, in Newport as it is in heaven. You'll see these phrases pop up. This is our reminder of our invitation that we are to join God in some ways in helping bring heaven to earth, which is why we disciple and, and, and help people come to know the way of Jesus and embody the values of heaven. And we know one of the, the, the values of heaven is that the lion would lay down with the lamb, that, that the weapons will turn to gardening tools. So it gets really confusing when followers of Jesus somehow align themselves with things that look nothing like heaven cannot get an amen. They're all like, where is he going to go now? They took Roman military propaganda and switched it on them. Their movement was about announcing a whole new world that was being made through Jesus. And this movement had its own power, but it was a kind that came from sacrificial love. They were asking, by co-opting this language, this evangelical word, this gospel word, this good news word and declaration that Rome was using, and they co-opted it in part, I think, basically to ask a question, which is, who is making the world better? Who's actually making the world better? Who's actually on the throne? And it's so fun to see this really obscure movement 2,000 years ago keep winning as whole empires have fallen. Rome lays in dust there is no more Roman Empire and the church is bigger and stronger and more loving than it has ever, ever been. It's interesting, the question they are posing. Who makes the world better? Who makes the world better? What's really true? This joyous announcement that death and sin don't have the last word. So, I wanted to begin my message like this because it's time to take the word back. And if taking the word back means we have to, we have to actually push the word aside for a season. We have to take the word back because this, if we get the gospel wrong, if we get the good news the declaration of the good news wrong, our church will not last. If we don't keep Jesus and his message at the center, if we don't trust that the good news of God saving the world and putting it back together, that Jesus is on the throne making all things new, if we do not have this story at the center of our, of our community, of our family, we, we, will, we will not take hold of the power that God has offered to us to see meaningful long-term change. Romans 1.16 says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, the good news, the euangelion. I am not ashamed 
Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel, the good news, brings salvation to everyone who trusts that news. The gospel before it's anything else, the good news is an announcement. It's an announcement. So we're going to talk about, like, we took this, like, pithy phrase, your best life, and said, no, what is an alternative vision of your best life? What is the narrative and the story that we are to be living out of? And we're going to take between now and the beginning of December to plow through this and talk about the good news and about community and about mission and about what it means to be formed in the way of Jesus and about power, what it means to walk in it. Because we want to make sure we are always recalibrating as a community that we are keeping our hearts set and our minds set on that which is most important. And we can't get into anything else without making sure we are parked and rooted in this good news, which has the power, Paul says, to save. Do we trust this news? The news that Jesus is on the throne, he has conquered death, forgiven us of our sins, shown us ultimately what God is like, and that his rule and reign is breaking forth in the midst of this one, but via love. So it's not going to come fast via power over. No angel armies coming down to chop off heads. No, no, no. The way he is going to bring about the renewal of the world will be in partnering with us. It even says in Peter that we can help speed the coming of the kingdom in the way that we join him. Things that God will do and wants to do in spite of us, but mostly with us. Do we trust this news? Do we trust this news? Because it's really hard to trust the news right now, isn't it? Is it not really hard to trust the news? And like everybody can be convinced of anything. I was listening to a comedian talk about how um, he was like watching a YouTube video and he basically was convinced by watching this YouTube video that he was in the Illuminati. <laughs> He's like, I don't, I, how is this? I am literally convinced. Right, we hear the tragedy of what happens with, with some of these, some of the stuff that's happening with Michael Jackson, and it's like the King of Pop. Like, can I play his songs anymore at our wedding? I get this. People ask this question. Like, Is it okay to play Michael Jackson? I just had a couple ask me this question. Is it okay? Given anything? I don't know. I'm not making a judgment call right here. But it's like you can find videos that are like Michael's so innocent. Here's all the facts. These kids are out to get him. And then you get videos over here that are like, no, 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 no. How on earth could you ever think that? It's really hard to trust the news and what's coming at us. You can see the same report on two different news networks, and it comes off two different ways. <laughs> I heard someone tell this story. Did you guys hear the story that was posted about the pizza? You hear the story about the pizza that was delivered to somebody, and they opened it up, and the pepperoni on the pizza looked like a swastika? Anyone hear this story? Yeah, it's crazy. And so then there's somebody else who wrote an article like, no, 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 you're making a lot out of this. Like, this is not, this is not actually what's going on. And everybody on one side is like, look, Trump basically put the pepperonis on himself. And then the other group is like going at a whole other angle like, are you kidding me? This is what's wrong and politically correct police and all this stuff. And you, did anyone see this? Washington Post had like a doctored, like apparently a doctored photo of this. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah I, made, yeah, yeah, I made the whole story up. It's not a real story. <laughs> Aziz Ansari, anyone seen this new comedic routine that he did? It's brilliant. He basically just goes at this whole idea of how, like, the news, we can't trust it. We can't trust it. How do we actually believe this thing about my political leanings or about the person that I thought was great or about these celebrities? 
How do I take this when the news has become X, Y, and Z? Now, this isn't a commentary on the news in general here, but what this is a commentary on is what sort of news and where do you trust? So I understand and appreciate the fact that someone would have a hard time trusting the good news. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, Paul says, because it is the power that brings salvation. I'm not ashamed of this good news. This is the news that will change everything. And I imagine as Paul, and we read in the scriptures, as Paul is going, announcing this good news, there's a whole other way. I know it's really difficult to trust that this would be true, a rabbi rising from the dead, to trust that actually the way God's gonna put the world back together is through this small little group of people in the corner of the Roman Empire, but I'm inviting you to trust it and to begin to live into it. And this morning, in part, I want to invite some of you to trust that news for the first time. And for others of you, I want you to, to, to consider what it would really mean, what it would really mean to root this at the, at the cornerstone of what it means for you to live your best life. There is news you can trust. I want to get a little technical for a minute. You and Gellion. In the Greek New Testament, gospel, this word is translated, uh, the Greek noun, euangelion, 76 times good news, and the verb, 54 times, and it means to bring or announce good news. Both words are derived from the word messenger, which in classical Greek was, one, was the one who brought a message of victory or other political or personal news that caused joy. We say the word joy. In addition... The middle voice form of this word meant to speak as a messenger of gladness to proclaim good news. Further, the noun became a technical term for the message of victory, though it was also used for a political or private message that brought joy. They took a word that existed again and injected it in to, with all of this meaning. But every instance that I could find explaining the announcement this word joy and gladness and joy and gladness came up time and time again. Anyone have a very stoic friend? Like a very quiet friend and then all of a sudden you get them talking about something that they love and they just light up. Anybody? I was at a uh, um, uh, neighborhood, like backdoor party last night, backyard party last night. Um, and I'm talking to this, these folks. I'm talking to this one guy and he's normal, relatively socially dialed in. And then... Um, <laughs> And uh, I say that just because I'm always extra. And so I'm talking to this guy, and he, um, halfway through the conversation, I, I start asking him what he does, and he's like, oh, you don't want to know. And No, no, no I do want to know, because very rarely do I, are you the weirdest one in the group? Like, I'm a pastor. And so <laughs> I start to talk to him more about what he does, and he's, he works at a, at a local university, and he's doing, like, some really incredible, incredible work uh, around um, fluid dynamics, Anyone doing any work in fluid dynamics right now? Yeah. And so immediately I'm like, one person just raised their hand like, yes, me. And uh, I, uh, I just wanted to ask more questions. I could tell he's been here before. And he's like, no, trust me, man, you don't want to ask any more questions. And I'm like, no, 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 I really do. You know, I'm just trying to be nice. And I, I, I'm genuinely interested in what other people find interesting. So I start asking him, and he's talking about dye and water movements and garbage in the ocean and how this stuff turns up and evaluating how you figure out, like, when your cream gets poured into the coffee, are there any patterns to how it goes and all of this stuff. And I watched this very relatively quiet, professorial young man just become, like, and by the end of it, I'm like, oh, I did, that was too much. I'm, no, I'm not kidding. 
I'm kidding. It was, it was great. And I, I, there's something that happens when someone encounters something that lights them up. When there's joy and gladness. I got a text at this same party. Um, and, and this is just in honor of the first day of football. I got a text today, for, or yesterday at this same party, almost at that same moment, that just said the words Antonio Brown. That's it from my good friend, Chris. He just said Antonio Brown. I'm like, Antonio Brown? Well, I know there's a lot of drama going on. But like, Antonio Brown, why would he be texting me this? Oh my gosh, you are kidding me. Like, quickly, I break the conversation because I have good boundaries. And I turn, and I turn my phone on. I like, look, I Google, Antonio Brown is joining the Patriots. I'm confused. I need someone to process. I'm having like a Holy Ghost moment. And so I, I get up. I walk, I, and I, the two guys I'm talking to, I go, hey, guys, guys, do you follow football? The first guy goes, oh, yeah, yeah, you mean so? No, you clearly don't. All right, the second guy, do you follow football? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I mean, pretty solidly. Okay, maybe does the word Antonio Brown mean anything to you? And he just goes, oh, yeah, Antonio Brown. I'm like, oh, you are lying to me. And so <laughs> I turn, I go, who knows football? And this guy, Mike, over here, he, I, <laughs> he's like, F- football? Yeah, I follow the football. I go over, I'm like, did you hear the news? He goes, yeah, about Antonio Brown. I'm like, yes! And we just have, you know, 10 minutes of nerding out, and then I go back over and resume the conversation. How many of you have no idea who Antonio Brown is? We are church divided. (laughs) Experience a message of joy and gladness. Stuff that you usually only experience, I find, with people with, like, sports and dating or their career. We are told... In the scriptures that this good news, this gospel, this euangelion, this evangelical message produces great joy. When you hear a story and a reality that wakes you to something deep inside you, it produces gladness and joy. Apparently this is what the Christian gospel has been doing. The Pope just wrote a book called The Gospel of Joy. This spans traditions within the Christian faith. There's this understanding that when you encounter this news and begin to then trust it, it shifts everything. Which is why sometimes as followers of Jesus, those who have been walking with him for a while, we can get inoculated to the message, right? Oh, I've heard this a million times. Are you really? All right, cool. Yep, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Yep, he rose from the dead. We can go to heaven when I die. Sweet. I'm going to be honest. I've had seasons of my life where it's like, yeah, yeah, the good news. It's awesome. Great. I'm secure in that. And yet this is the message that has produced joy and sparked movements and changed lives and many of the lives that sit here in this room right now. The gospel gives life. Benedict. uh, Pope Benedict said this, both being a follower of Jesus is not the result of an ethical choice or a lofty idea. No, no, no. It is the encounter with an event and a person which gives life a new horizon and a decisive direction. Turn with me to Luke 19. Luke 19, we're going to wrap here. I want to ask the question as we go through Luke 19, what can we expect from the good news in our city? This is the question I want to ask. I pray this is intriguing to a few of us. What can we expect from the good news at Brown University? What can we expect from the good news at RISD? What can we expect from the good news in the business sector? What can we expect from the good news in our family units? What can we expect as we look out at our city and our neighborhoods from the gospel today? Luke 19, Jesus entered Jericho. Jericho is a land of wealthy, wealthy. These are the summer home of some of the most wealthy elite. Think 
the Hamptons. He was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Tax collectors are basically like, we don't have a great equivalent, but I would just say this, they're, they're border, they're like mobsters. Tax collectors, um, you, they were conquered by a foreign land, and then they are one of the people, they, they are part of the people who were conquered, who are being oppressed, and they sell their souls to become part of the oppressor's regime, and they are used by Rome to tax their very people, and then they have a low bar, they have to give that money back to Rome, and then they add tax on top and then glean off the top. So they are literally pillaging their own people. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. That means he was a good one. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, I love that detail when I come to this story, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter. He was gone to be with the guest of a sinner. They're muttering. He went to go with a guy like that. We read these stories sometimes and we think the religious leaders were just like, oh, they didn't like him hanging out with like, you know, just messed up individuals. Like just kind of with some minor sin issues who weren't in the club. Like, no, no, this is significant. I don't blame the Pharisees for muttering right now. He went to be with that mobster. The guy who is like in part responsible for why all these people around us are poor and hurting and broken. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man, he's referring to himself there, came to seek and save the lost. To seek and save the lost. I don't know why, I don't like G, how Jesus um, knows Zacchaeus' name. I don't know how Zacchaeus has heard about Jesus. But Jesus very quickly goes, today I must stay at your house. And this is amazing. He's passing through and it's time to interrupt his journey to bring salvation to an individual. Paul says the gospel, the good news, which is primarily about who Jesus is, what he's done, and what he's doing now. Paul says this has the power to save. To save. And we see Jesus here stopping his agenda, stopping his, his path, and meeting with an individual who is arguably one of the most least likely people to ever find themselves saved in a follower of Jesus. He names him. Stay with me. Jesus names him and he sees him and this moment produces repentance. See, when you encounter really good news and it's contrary to some of the news you've been living, when you have a view of your best life and then you encounter like a different view of what the best life could be, you got two options. Keep going or turn around. We get hung up sometimes on the word repentance. We turn around. I've been going in this direction, but it's not where the life is. It's not where the beauty is. It's not where the goodness is. It's not where the truth is. It's not where the party is. And so I have a choice to keep going with my vision of the best life or begin to turn and trust 
a different announcement. Then he says, this man is a son of Abraham, which is loaded. He goes, hey, this man who has betrayed your whole tribe, I want to remind you, he's still in your tribe. Right? He goes, I know you betrayed everything about who we are, but I want to tell you, actually, um, he's he's still a son of Abraham. In some ways, it's almost like a welcome home party, which Jesus has a tendency to do. He just told in the chapter before three stories about welcoming things home, finding things. This man's a son of Abraham. We look at these details. We just brush over it like, oh, some religious language I don't get. No, no, no. He's saying this betrayer, he's still still one of you. Welcomes him home. He goes to a place where there are culturally elites. He goes to a city where no one is a follower of Jesus. He goes to a city that has a very different script Read Providence. And he notices and he names and he invites himself over and it results in salvation. And then we get the mission statement. Son of man came to seek and save the lost. So what can we expect from the gospel in our city? One, we can expect scandal. Jesus was a friend of sinners. They all muttered. Anytime you move in the direction of caring for folks who are on the outside caring for folks that are scandalous, actually loving and trying to understand the other side, people will mutter. And religious people and very religious non-religious people will mutter and they will hate it. Anytime you start spending time with the lost, you will, and excuse my French, but it is appropriate, piss people off. And there is a lesson to be learned here. Choose who and how you will offend. Who will you offend and how? Will you be known by your love because you believe that that you are so deeply loved? How could you not love even that person on the other side of the aisle? Will you portray your progressive crowd? Will you portray your conservative crowd? Will you actually walk across and see the humanity in the other? Will we be a church or will we just be co-opted into some sort of political or tribal identity that's happening in our world right now? Will we be a church? Will we get sucked into Christian nationalism and get stamped with that ugly political evangelical word? Or will we re-embody what the word is and what it's always been because it's our word, which is good news for everybody? Oh, I'm going to start screaming. I'm sorry. What can you expect from the gospel in our city? You can expect scandal. What can you expect from the gospel? You will see salvation. We can expect to see people sought after. This word seek means to strive after. Jesus came to seek and save. Anyone want to do a little word study with me real quick? Stay with me. Seek, to strive after, to aim at, to search for, to desire. I love this. The love of God is not passive It goes out and after people. The heart of God is seeking the lost, and we want to be close to the heart of God, which means we have a heart for the lost, the wandering. We are people going, I'm just one other beggar, one other lost person that used to be lost, now found, trying to show some other people where to go. It's not arrogant. It's not, I have the way, and you don't have the way. Let me show you the way. It's like, no, 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 I know what it's like. 
It's hard. Things are crazy. It's weird out there. It's really tough to trust the story. I know. Maybe give this story a try. Come try it with me. This is the heart of God. The God of the universe came and revealed himself, and he said, hey, one of my, one of my, one of my, uh, one of my moves, my key moves in my mission statement here is to seek. To seek. You ever lost something? I was talking to my brother last night because I wanted to get the story right. And he was, because I, I remember this moment, we were at Need Donuts together downtown, and all of a sudden his three-year-old son just took off. Now, if you've ever met Jacob, I don't know if any of you have ever met Jacob, this is, this is he's, he's, he's amazing. He's an incredible athlete. So this is like, he's just getting his running legs. I like to imagine in Jacob's mind, he's like, I'm sitting here waiting for dad to get the donut. I'm going to go for a run. And he just, he just, he just goes for it. It's amazing. Not amazing. All of a sudden, in the very busy downtown financial district area, nobody knows where he is. So Stephen runs out. He knows a couple people working there. There's a few people that he knew that were in the store. Everyone goes high alert. We're like, we got to find Jacob. So they run out into the street. Stephen literally paints the picture like he basically like closed down, was it Washington Street down there. He's like, just stop. He's like directing traffic, looking for his kid, worried he ran out into the main drag there. And then after searching and searching and searching, he couldn't remember exactly how long it was, but it was a solid five minutes at least. Couldn't find him. Turns out he was on the second floor of the bank building next door. He had just gone up the elevator in the Washington Trust building. Which raises all sorts of concerns about the security system at Washington Trust. So if you have your money there, you may want to reconsider. Um, just kidding, if anyone here is the president of Washington Trust. They bring them down. They bring him down, waits in the lobby. They're checking in buildings next door. Finally, they find him. And the feeling, even as Stephen is retelling the story, you can, I can hear the terror in his voice of losing something. This is God's posture towards us. Later on in the this, in this story, Jesus is weeping over the city. He's like, oh, they're like a sheep without a shepherd. I just want to gather them together like a mother gathers, gathers her flock. Like, like she's just, he, Jesus is crying out like my lost. If you want to know what God's like, this is in part what God is like. Seeking after, longing after. The second word, save, is this word sozo, which is to rescue from danger or destruction. It is a holistic restoration of life. To remove someone from destruction and restore them to health. It's not just to get them out, it's to put them back together. And Zacchaeus, we see, is restored from God. He's moved from outsider back to insider. He repents of the idol of money. God's heart here is to bless and restore him. And church, hear this. We should expect God to do this in our city and in our community. Could we expect God to keep going after the least likely? Just the chapter before the disciples ask, wait, if that guy can't be saved, who could really be saved? And Jesus just says, with God, nothing is impossible. Look, the gospel's not broken. And if it saved people in the broken, broken world of Rome, he can do it here now. If I was in a Pentecostal church, y'all just would have stood up and started going. And then you would all walked out, like, let's do this. <laughs> do you have a conviction that people are lost, that people will be saved? Do you know 
That there is a hurting and ache and lostness inside of each one of us that causes us to not step into our best life. We chose this serious title just because it's one of the, the most common hashtags in the world right now. My best life. My best life. My best life. Your best life. Because there's all sorts of competing ideas and vision and news, and we're going to get into that next week. But Jesus came to announce something. The good news that, yeah, 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 you want everybody, everybody, every human being on earth wants to step into their best life. There are all sorts of different narratives of what that is, and Jesus is just simply saying, hey, come, let me show you, let me show you, let me show you. Because let us be clear, Jesus did not just come here to high-five people and say, like, you just be you. Some people have a vision of Jesus like this. It's like Jesus just rolled up, and he's like, I just want to remind you all that you are just loved, and things are going to be all right, and you're good. I don't even know why I'm here, in fact. (laughs) Peace. It just doesn't line up with anything Jesus does. He goes after the hurting and the broken and the sinful, and he's saying, change your script. There is a distinct way to be in the world. I'm doing something, and I'm putting it all back together, and I love you right where you are. Will you say yes? God's love is not unconditional. It is unconditioned. He's not going to coerce you. You, there is nothing in the way of you experiencing and knowing his love. Nothing in the way. There is no test. There is no thing you got to do or box you got to check. There is nothing. But he's not going to force you. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. This is in part at the heart of the gospel. So, as we go, I invite you in a minute. We're going to stand to our feet. We're going to sing an old, I'm going to run over to the piano. We're going to sing an old chorus together. But for those of you right now who are followers of Jesus, I want us to resolve in our hearts. Resolve in our hearts to be people like this. Romans 10, 14. How then can they friends, your crew, your neighbors, your enemies, call on the one they have not believed in. How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I want to name this sermon Beautiful Feet. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. That we would have a resolve in our hearts to be people who are just so permeated and saturated with this reality of what God is doing in the world. That would not just play on our metaphysical, meta meta ideas of the good life. No, 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 no. That it would transform our anxious hearts and our anxious spirits and our, and our pain as we begin to trust something else happening, God making it all new. 
We begin to trust you don't have to fear death so you can charge into your call with no fear. That you are loved at the depth of your being and you can stop trying to earn it. That we would be people who would declare with joy and gladness the great party that God is putting it all back together and you are forgiven. And for my sisters and brothers who do not yet believe, who maybe have never heard the good news shared like this, who maybe have a hard time trusting that whatever's gone wrong in their life could be forgiven, trusting that God is actually that personal, actually seeking after you, with no fanfare and no big moment, I just want to invite you to say yes. We're going to stand together. Would you stand together with me? Before we race off the door for a new week, can we lift our voice and declare? Some of you, it's declaring over your, over your friends and over your parts of the city where you have influence. And for others of us, this maybe is a moment of saying, yes, as you sing, this is going, Jesus, I trust this story. I, I want to invite you into my life. I want to invite my life, maybe a better way to put it, into yours.